Welcome to today's episode of Love Selling Hate Sales. Today's topic is one that is very near and dear to my heart. We're going to be diving into the importance of sales engagement. And what I mean by that is the creativity it takes to break through and engage with your prospects, especially when you're doing outbound and cold outbound type of prospecting. I saw a LinkedIn post recently from a marketer who said that daily they receive over 144 spam cold outreach email, all of which immediately go into the trash bucket. Oftentimes there are routing rules in the people's inbox that are just immediately putting these things into spam. The bottom line is sales engagement is absolutely critical for you to break through. And what that means is we can't just be sitting back and thinking that mass quantities of phone calls, emails, not thoughtful, not researched. We can't be thinking that we can just use a spray and pray method to get people's attention. People's attention are at a premium and it's our job as sellers to get creative, really do your research, understand the person, connect with them at the human level and really start to break through that way as opposed to these spam-based approaches. So to talk with me and to talk with us about that today is Ollie Whitfield, who is the head of growth marketing for Vanilla Soft. And Ollie said a great line when we were doing a little bit of show prep. He told, he said, I would never be a salesperson. And then he went and became a salesperson. And then now he's back in marketing. But he's doing marketing to help people with sales engagement and to break through that clutter and not be one of those noisy, annoying salespeople. So Ollie, first and foremost, thank you for joining the show. Thanks very much for having me and, and a great intro. Yeah, I did say those words and I had to apologize to everybody that I said it to. And then again, when I went back to being a marketer, but I'm here for it. So thanks for having me. So yeah, it's my pleasure. So let's let's actually even dive into that, right? You said you'd never be a salesperson. And I often find that there's some deep rooted perceptions of salespeople that drive a comment like that. Why would you say something like that? Yeah, you, you nailed it when you said it was deep rooted. I uh, just saying exactly as it is, I was about 18, something like that, 19, about a year or two of my job. And I just thought these salespeople that like call our office every so often and they, <laughs> what, they want to talk to the co-founder, like go away, so <laughs> annoying. Like I could never do that and sit there and just get told to go away by some guy like me all the time. And then I did it. But um, that again, it's like you said, it was a perception thing. I didn't really think it was like an honorable trade, not to say it was dishonorable in any way, but I didn't give it any respect for the work, the difficulty, what it actually could be rather than just, you know, the, the difference between selling and like solicitation, you could call it like the spam emails you just said about from, the, from that post on LinkedIn we saw, those are mostly just spammy crap emails. They're not really like someone actually selling to that person, that account, which is the differentiation I didn't really make and didn't really know that was there. So when I did go into it, that was the realization of, oh, it's not as bad as I thought. And it was difficult and more difficult than I thought, but that's how it happened. How did you end up in sales actually? So when you said you'd never do it, what did that transition look like? How did it come about? I uh, I started following someone who was um, an up and coming sort of thought leader in the space of uh, of social selling when that was the like white hot thing, when that was really cool, and um, I just followed and like obsessed over their content. Uh, 
at that point, you know, you're 18, you don't really know anything. So you have to do that. And I nearly left my first ever job for the point of like, I'm not really doing anything that cool here. And, and I realized, well, I went for another interview and it was just the worst job in the world. And I thought, is this what I can do? Is this what I can get? So I realized, I've got to learn some stuff somehow. So I just went crazy deep into learning everything I could. And, and this was the first thing I found. Um, so I got, you know, I got quite friendly with that person and, um, and they managed to bring me into their company and uh, do some sort of social SDR work for, for one of their clients. So I had, to, I had a quota every week. We never once missed it once we get started and all that kind of stuff. But I literally had no qualification for any of it apart from that I read all this stuff and just took it as an obsession to, to get to that point. And, and there I found myself, you know, uh, I made more money. I had a better company. I had a cooler job and I was definitely going to learn some stuff and that I did. What an incredible story. You obviously had learned a lot of lessons, I assume. I mean, you were ingesting all of this content even before starting the role. Talk to me about some of the things in those early days that worked and didn't work. Of of the social selling? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was different, like really different. So, um, oh, what year was this? Um, so I was probably 19. So about five, six years ago from today, um, which would have been, yeah, 2017, 2018. So you could do, you could get away with pretty crappy LinkedIn outreach. Like it was so novelty and no one had ever experienced it. So you could literally go like, you'd write your connection request and you just copy and paste it basically. And as long as it was somewhat useful or relevant or, you know, applicable, you'd normally get the connect every single time. And, and I think people got wind of that and they stopped doing that now. So normally now you're actually better off not putting the invite in there. You just click connect rather than personalizing it. But uh, but you would do that. And uh, and I roughly had, think of an email cadence, I pretty much had like a talk track of how I would speak to you in, on LinkedIn. And normally there'd be some sort of trigger event, like you posted about something and I'd ask you that. And then I'd know roughly how to go from A to B to C to D. And I wouldn't always do it in one go, but um, I would have a target account list of, uh, I think it was 20 accounts. And I had to have five prospects per account at least that were somewhat socially active within the ICP. That was really hard work. I had to go and find them myself and uh, LinkedIn sales navigator, track them and all that stuff and then connect with them however and whatever I could do, log that in Salesforce, all of it, no tooling to help. But um, yeah, it was it was a world away. But the one thing that did stand out then, Twitter chats were just the thing. That was absolute gold if you could find someone that took part in them. They seemed to have died for some reason. But I remember this one time there was a like a, perfect buyer persona he he never did anything on linkedin ever and the only time per year that he ever touched twitter was during this weekly twitter chat and it was like 9 p.m one night for me because he's on the west coast and i thought like I, I gotta get this so i just went to that twitter chat and sort of engaged him a couple of times and took part in the whole thing and uh, I, I went into the dm and and we got the meeting so it's it was that type of thing you had to really pick and choose and sort of snipe for your moments where um it's a it's a bit more generalized now you can't just be as obvious like that unbelievable so what really stood out to me about your story especially as we're thinking about the idea of not being spammy and really engaging people at the front end of the sales process is the concept of targeting you mentioned really getting intentional around that top 20 accounts and those five personas within the accounts talk to me about how much support you got from your team and how much you just had to do on your own and walk us through a little bit more detail on that targeting process. 
It wasn't a lot. So bear in mind, this is this is a client engagement. It's not um, like a, I'm a paid SDR on commission, but but the outcome of what we're doing is the same thing. So the client would say, we want like these companies, give or take these people, or at least within this market, right? And then our job would be, okay, let's reverse engineer. How many people can we find? And you know, some of these people you actually could not find on social media. It was that type of market. It was uh, it was government actually, which which in England here that's kind of not the hot spot for LinkedIn, especially Twitter. You were really lucky if you found a Twitter profile. So it's a bit of that, and and from there, literally, it's right. We got Excel sheet with these hundred and something accounts, twenty at a time, five people per account plus if we can, and we go from there. So you go and um. You'd literally go and find, right, save this account, save this lead, save this lead, save this lead, check their recent activity and all that stuff. Try and follow them on Twitter if you could. And you would start engaging them from there. So once you've done your bulk of research and you've got your like your plate full, I would say, of prospects, then you just start. So you go, right, who's first on my list? Right, let's go look at their recent uh, activity, see what they got. And then we would start with the whole, oh, I saw your post about this. And if they had nothing, you would wait because your sales navigator license would tell you, hey, just so you know, Josh posted something today about half an hour ago. And then that would be your cue to do the first outreach from there. So not a lot of support, but I did have an outrageously good mentor and manager of the team who took every single question any time of the day, a hundred times a day, basically was the sales manager, the VP, the buddy that I needed because I knew nothing. It was all gut instinct and, and he really showed me the way. Well, it sounds like your foray into sales was a good experience. You speak very positively about it. Yeah, it's, I fundamentally believe that being a salesperson is as close to being a CEO as you can get. Not, you know, obviously you could be a COO and maybe you could say that's closer, but in terms of what you're doing and prep for your own CEO job or your own company that you want to start, what what better teacher? You have to build relationships with people. You have to do the hard stuff. You have to be productive. You've got to organize your calendar. You've got targets, you know, revenue, all of that stuff. If you're good at sales, you could probably be in most cases, or at least close to being a pretty decent founder. And that was maybe a pipe dream of mine one day, maybe. I'm not sure of it yet, but if you can be half decent at sales, you probably got a chance. So I just, I gravitated towards it. Love it. I love that segue too. So as the CEO of your own destiny at this point, right? We're a seller. Let's fast forward from 2017, 2018 to 2022. And just to, again, reset what we're seeing in the marketplace, we're seeing hundreds of thousands of automated emails go out to prospects every day via sales automation platforms. We're seeing automated LinkedIn programs that connect and pitch. We're seeing power dialers that are just rolling salespeople through cold calls. Sales engagement is your world now. You're in marketing, you're getting, you're on the, you're on the butt end of this stuff. You're marketing a platform that helps with this stuff. What's working in 2022? Uh, most of the stuff you described is where it's not. Like you, like you said, it's just, you know, hitting loads of people up with the same crap and hoping that it works. And I think generally speaking, everyone does know and acknowledge that. There are just some universal truths. So spraying and praying, we kind of all know by now, not really the thing, but it's different when we're solving our own problems. Just like we could give each other advice now, but anything in our lives going on, but uh, like I can't solve my own problems just as easy as I could just say something to you. So in a sense, I think we all know, right, let's, you know, let's be personalized. Let's be ultra relevant. Let's have a great message and all this stuff. But when we try to do it, 
we kind of just go like straight into default and we're like yeah we were doing this last week now we've got to do it again this week and we forget all of that stuff and we're just doing whatever we do and it, it can continue to get worse thing that's really working for us and it sounds super obvious but it's what no one else does we go extraordinarily detailed on who and what and why we're looking at so think of this um i'm trying to come up with an example on, on the fly for you here but there's there's a handful of accounts in our market or one of our target markets where it just makes unbelievable sense that they should use us like for tiny details like extraordinary circumstances they're you know, they've got all of these people that are of a certain way, certain age or whatever it may be. It just means that they should be using us and no one else. There's no argument. They are totally unique. There's a handful of those companies. Finding that in whatever way you can or as close to it as possible is just golden. So those five companies, it's almost like a bona fide yes if we reach out and we recite those reasons. Whereas if we don't, they're just like, oh, go away. Like, honestly, guys, go away, whatever. Like, delete, hang up, whatever. That's what happens. And yes, I did say there's a finite number of those accounts. That is very true. If you go one step back from that. So instead of like, um, let's say my my target market is VPs of sales in America and they're of a certain size and a certain type of company, certain type of market, all that stuff. If I can do that targeting down to the ground, then I've just got like the whole country's worth of people and it's a static list and I'll just bombard my way through it. What I never did is think, okay, next week there will be uh, a bunch of new ones who just started a job this week. Uh, in two weeks' time, at the end of the month, there'll be another big batch who've, who've just started that job again. There'll be a load who have changed jobs within this crowd and gone to another one, all that kind of stuff. So I didn't ever once approach or even think about approaching those new ones only. I just went through all of them, same thing. So I'm missing out on massive opportunity. Or for example, I'm a, I'm a fairly new uh, NFL fan. So I know obviously the Rams won the Super Bowl. Anyone in LA or, or particularly California, obviously where LA is, maybe that is a half decent thing to put in the PS to just those people just that week, maybe if you wanted to, but it's things like that where no one has ever gone, you know what, we're gonna do LA this week and, and, we, and we're gonna use that because that shows that we're paying attention and we've got some targeting and it's actually relevant. No one's doing that. They're just going, right, here's the whole list, right? Go have some fun. So it's, it's that, and obviously once you put that foot forward instead of your, that's your best foot and your second one follows, once you put the best foot forward, you can do other things like your videos and all that kind of stuff. But everything is incrementally better when you've done a good job from the start. It's kind of an uphill battle if you've started badly and then you're trying to do a video and a LinkedIn and gifting and all that kind of stuff. You mentioned relevance and personalization and you gave this example of the LA Rams winning the Super Bowl, targeting a group in LA. I would call that personal relevance. What's the balance between personal relevance and business relevance that you need to strike? Difficult one. Um, I think personalization gets a bit of a bad rap. It's not stuff like, hey, I see you went to you know, UCLA. Like, who freaking cares? If, if we both did, maybe, like maybe that's a PS at the bottom if this is like a target account, but that's, that's something you probably don't want to put all of your list you know, towards. You'd have to build your list around that. Otherwise you're doing one by one by one by one. And that's just not really a good idea or scalable. So if you were doing your top like five, 10 accounts and you just find that out about the decision maker, yeah, like maybe put it in. Um, but beyond that, I always think like, I, I, used to say the, I used to say I'm a person before I'm a business person, which is true. 
but in my business hours I'm a business person so like uh, you know if, if my football team's playing I'm meant to be working so I'm not watching that it's you know what I'm saying it's that that stuff comes before so I always go with account level stuff and, uh, and persona led stuff if I can with that but just as a bit of a sign off with a flourish and a bit of um just a bit of a disarming moment of like this is actually genuinely for me if it is of that right caliber that is that is that target account it is it is worth it if you can find something like oh by the way good podcast last week with aj right or, or something like that if you if you've got it and you can find it and it's not like oh um i hope you and your dog tiffany have a great weekend it's like going really personal into their home life and that sort of stuff can go a bit wrong normally sport is okay normally if you can find out and only if you're interested there's a classic one lots of the times like sdrs used to do a video and it would be them like playing a song on a guitar right if the prospect doesn't like the guitar why the hell do they care about that they don't that's just you trying to sort of be different so if i I would never do that because i can't play the guitar but if i could and i saw that you kind of like that stuff maybe so it's using that sort of what do we have in common rather than just forcing something and a perfect example of how not to do this um, I'm rambling a little bit but I had an outreach the other week from an SDR Um, she researched my football team which is brilliant and she made a bet with me that I would take a demo if we lost at the weekend the next match and if we if my team won I would get like an Amazon voucher right she didn't really research it enough that my team was top of the league playing the bottom of the league so there's like a 99% 99% chance we're going to win and, and nicely. So obviously I won the bet, luckily for me. But, you know, maybe she could have waited a week until we played a really difficult team and then then it's better. So, you know, being on them, um, using something you're really into as well, if you can find it, is massive. But otherwise, kind of keep it to the personalized, uh, keep it to the account stuff. Okay. So it sounds like with personalization, personal personalization, tread a little bit lightly. So then let's dive into the business level personalization. And there's a lot of chatter about this right now out on LinkedIn. And to me, there's a big difference between knowing the business and demonstrating that you know their business and delivering an insight. How do you feel about those two things? An insight, you can only really know so much or assume so much from the outside. This is, it's kind of like how you put it is the is the real kicker on this so you can say um you're recently hiring three sdrs i don't know something like that anyone can find that out super obvious easy go on linkedin it's there or you just have to follow the hiring person and you probably see that too go on the website however you want to find it that is there and everyone uses that maybe funding rounds too you can use that but it's the fine print underneath that funding round which says we're going to fund a bunch of development to do a new feature to do an integration for future m a that is the part that makes a difference. Not we've got $50 million, which is what most people's light uh, eyes light up and they go, oh my God, they can afford us. It's that stuff. So the, it's the fine print. Um, and uh, what was the second part of your question? I've totally blanked on you. No, it, it was really just that. It was diving into, as a buyer, it, you know, putting yourself again, you're, you're getting these outreaches all the time. Do you respond to someone demonstrating that they know your business? Or, does it, or do they have to deliver some level of insight in order for you to take that oh, next really. level? It is a bit of both because you truly can't know. And this is You sort of have to do your best job, but you, you're kind of banking on being told otherwise. So for example, I get reached out to about a website a lot. Nothing to do with it. I've never even touched it. I wish I could take credit for that thing, but I, I have nothing to do with it. And, and literally yesterday, one of our, uh, our RevOps 
team leaders that he, he came to me and said, look at this email, dude. I didn't even touch the website and I'm being reached out to about the response time and all this stuff. It, it's miles away. So you, you kind of assume based on roles and team size and certain titles that are and are not there within an account or a team. But apart from that, yeah, coming with a bit of insight slightly disarms that too. So you, you, you would not actually know from the outside if you reach out to us now what our team is like in the marketing department. You can have a good guess and, and you can basically assume based on some titles, on the size, on uh, comings and goings, that sort of stuff, what's going on. And you might say, well, there are about 100 people, about this much money in ARL. They're probably doing this. They probably have this budget. So that means this is within the, the wheelhouse. You, you can do that. And that normally is fairly accurate, but but sort of treading carefully when you say that because nothing's a bit more jarring for a buyer, right? So send me an email and you're trying to sell me um, ABM technology, like a, a terminus or something. And uh, and you're assuming that we already have something. If we don't, I'm not correcting you. Like, I'm not going to say no, just so you know, like we don't have that. I'm not going to say that because it's kind of awkward. But if you assume that we don't have something and we do, you look kind of amateurish. You're like, you know, we're a bit of a bigger fish than that. So it's really awkward how you how you tread that water. But the, the piece that kind of saves you is the insight. So stuff like um, in our market, for example, a Salesforce or a HubSpot, if they have this groundbreaking new study or this new stat that I should know about based on what you know about me and my persona and my job, that's a way to create some commonality. So what people do all the time that's wrong about this, they always recite some company I've never heard of and I could care less about and I don't even know if it's real. And then the stat is always something stupid like it's um, marketers are 79% more likely to achieve their goals if they do A. And it's like 79%. No, come on, that's rubbish. Or, or it's like 309% and you just think whatever. But if it's HubSpot and it sounds relevant and recent and I don't know about it, clearly you've got your finger on the pulse in some way or another. And at least I know you're kind of within my sphere and you're not like some guy who's telling me about HP and Oracle stuff because honestly, I don't even look at it. No, it's not for me and it's out of my world. So, Well, this is great. We're setting up the the framework for how to start thinking and putting yourselves in the, in the buyer's shoes, right? That's how I'm thinking about this. So let's go a level deeper and get a little bit more tactical. One of the things that you told me when we were talking was that most people just use some sort of standardized email template to fake personalization. I'm using air quotes here. Talk to me about what best in class outbound cold email really looks like, taking together some of these concepts that we've been talking about. Yeah, well, there's a lot of different frameworks, but no one uses them. I don't really know why, to be honest. Um, it took me actually going onto Google because someone said the words cold email framework, and I'm like, what is that? So I Googled it, and, uh, and I found out it's a structure to write to. Um, and again, when you say that, it sounds a lot like a template. Template isn't that. That template's just like a prefabricated, here's an email and, you know, dot the I's, cross the T, change the name, change the company, whatever you want to do. A template is based on a framework sometimes, but sometimes they're free, like freestyled. I don't know about you, but I am not consciously, uh, subconsciously good enough at cold email writing to just write a really good one. I could try and sometimes I will do a decent one, but you know, doing it 15 in a row, I can't do it. They're, they're all just all over the place. The structure's wrong, not optimal. They may be all right, but they're not optimal. A framework stops that. Framework is literally the opposite. It's it's like uh, you might have a couple letters to, to follow. So for example, um, Josh Braun, who is a 
pretty popular guy on LinkedIn these days. He's got one and his is the first one ever found. So his, uh, his framework is TTTTT, four T's. I think I said five, but it's four. And it stands for, um, if I remember it right now, the trigger event is the first bit. The third party validation is the second bit. Then the, the third bit is the teach me and the last bit is the tell me. And that's how you write every single one of the emails according to his framework. There's other ones. Um, if you've ever seen a billboard ad, you will have definitely seen an ADA, A-I-D-A. That's attention, interest, desire, and action. They're all fairly similar in a way. And some of them have their little nuances. And if you really wanted to get clever, you could take, for example, PAS, Problem Agitate Solution. And maybe you could mix that with Josh's TTTT one and create your own one. But the whole point is, look, I used to get my... Um, I would do my trigger event and then I'd do my valley prop and then I'd sort of mix in my call to action with my valley prop and something else and something else and it was a mess. It kills that. But no one actually is sort of brave enough to say, yeah, I, it's kind of like saying when you go bowling, do you use the rails? I, I don't use the rails. I'm kind of like, I, no, I don't do that. I'm too cool for that. But writing with the framework is, is kind of the opposite of that. You, you should be proud of saying, yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm intentional about how I write my emails. So that's the big one for me. Love it. Can you share an example of one that you've seen work really well? Yeah, do you, do you wanna have the framework or do you wanna have uh, an example of the email too? Yeah, so let's talk about the framework that was used and then jump into the example of it in application. Okay, yeah, let me try and work out to share my screen too so we've got it on record. So here we go. Um, let me do a slideshow. There we go. So this is Josh's um, framework and this is my interpretation. So uh, I have not done it total justice. I've just done my best. It's my rendition. Um, so just going through the email. So it says name, notice your sales team has changed a little since you took over as CRO, obviously short for chief revenue officer. Next line, we're helping growing SaaS companies like you, Gong and Lead IQ to regain control of sales performance. Next line, wondered if you ever want more visibility into each rep's activity and making sure they hit the right leads first. And the last line is interested in learning some more. So the trigger event at the top, um, it, it doesn't sound like most emails where it's like, hey, you hired two SDRs and one AE, or you just got 41 million in funding, whatever it is. This this just sounds like I know that I've you know had a good look at the account, the team, I sort of get what's going on. Your sales team has changed a little. And for the person that I wrote this for, that was very true. That was a bit of an understatement. So I kind of played on that in a, in a joking way, but it does show I paid attention. Um, and, and that's really, if you think about it, my subject line could be very short here. Pretend my subject line is TTTT email. That's very short, only a few characters. They would actually see quite a lot of this first line in their inbox before they open it. It's called preview text. So that's kind of a benefit of a short subject line when you've got a good trigger event or a good opening line like this. Next part is the third party validation. I'm not a huge fan of this personally, mainly because people do it kind of in a goofy way that doesn't really do what it's meant to do. So stuff like um, growing companies like you, HP, Oracle and Google and Samsung, I'm like a million miles away from them. I have a hundred people in my company and they have a hundred thousand. Nothing is the same. Nothing will work the same. I don't resonate in the slightest. And I've never worked in one of them, so I don't even have that way of translating it from experience. But companies like Gong and LeadIQ, I actually know people in both of them. And they are not competing with us at all, but they are in the same type of world. They're all sales technology too, just like us. 
So many people in my company could make a phone call to many people in those two companies and check out this sales reps company if we wanted to. And obviously you do have to have those clients if you're gonna reach out to other companies like them, otherwise you can't just sort of make it up. But, uh, but that's kind of an added little bonus. A++++, if you've got a competitor, I don't always know if I believe it when I see it, but if you do genuinely have a competitor on your client roster, that's pretty good. Does that resonate with you? A uh, competitor, I think it would, but you'd have to give it a bit more of an explanation. You couldn't just drop it in like this. Um, you'd have to sort of say, you'd have to give a bit more of the backstory, I think. And that's a bit of a careful line to tread, but um, Yeah, that could open me. up a Pandora's box in an email. Yeah, yeah, that's the difficult one. But definitely my ears pricked up if I saw it. And every day I get some sort of goofy, like, you know, sales loft competitors list email, and it's obviously the sure. spammiest crap in the world, but I always see it because of that name. So, so you know, pros and cons. You mentioned earlier that you never believe stats or rarely believe stats. What if there's a stat relevant to the competitor? I think that works. It's uh, again, it depends on the stat. So if it's something stupid, like how to 10 X your lead flow, it's like, yeah, come on. If I could have already done that, you think I would have. Right. And, um, it's, yeah, it, that's just not believable, but, um, yeah, you know, if it's within the realm of possibility, how to add 15% more pipeline or, or things like that, that's not unbelievable, but yeah, I'm curious to hear more about it for sure. Fair enough. Well, let's dive into Teach Me. I think that's interesting because you're starting to get into the insight concept here. How far yeah. can you go with Teach Me? Yeah, you know what? I need to I need to change my light real quick. Hopefully, I'm not still on camera, but uh, it's just starting to blind me, so I can't even see my screen. But um, so the Teach Me part and the Tell Me part, possibly I could have done a better job of this, to be honest. Um, in Josh's example, he does a bit better job explaining the difference, but I've kind of merged them a little bit. So in the essence, the teach me part, I'm trying to allude to something else. And the tell me is about how we're going to talk about it in a sense. So wondered if you've ever wanted more visibility into each rec's activity and making sure they hit the right leads first. The first part before the ampersand, if you've ever wanted more visibility, so obviously that's a good thing in the most part, into each rec's activity. So that's like, here's the thing I want to give you. Do you want to have this? And then the teach me pies are making sure they hit the right leads first. You're basically saying these two things are linked and one sort of relies upon the other. Maybe you didn't know that, or maybe you didn't think about it that way. That's the teach me part. So possibly I could have done a stronger job on this and maybe worded this a little bit better, but, uh, but that was just my attempt. And the, and the tell me pretty much just a call to action anyways. Are you interested in learning some more? Bit of a light one. Um, not going for the 60 minute demo next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Just, um, is this worth a conversation? Maybe this is a first outreach. Just seeing what the uh, what their initial feeling is on what I've said. Fantastic. And do you have any results to share from this particular framework? I wish I did. Um, this one I sent particularly to one person directly. I did get the reply. Um, some of my messaging was not quite on par with what's going on in their account, which is great because that told me what to say for them for my next one. But uh, I only use this particular framework on one account so far. Our sales team though uses it all the time, so I need to go and um, I need to go and scan their stats and uh, and bring that back to you. 
Very good. And for those of you listening, we'll get a snapshot of this template and we'll put it in the show notes so that you can get a visual look at what's going on if you're just listening here on audio. Ollie, this is great. Why don't you give us just a little overview of VanillaSoft, who you are and what you do? Yeah, love to. Um, so <laughs> the the website says the world's best sales engagement platform. I believe it. Um, come see it for yourself if you wanted to. But we're, uh, we're a little bit different in the sense that a lot of sales engagement platforms, they kind of allow you a bit too much freedom, in my opinion. Bit controversial, I know. But um, I, I don't know if you guys feel the same. Whenever you're reaching out to someone a few times and you do, you're doing your best to follow up, we all know that's the hardest part is when you're not getting through and you kind of talk yourself out of reaching out and you kind of run out of stuff to say. That is not your fault. That's the tool. And that is fairly controversial. I accept that. What what the difference really is between most most of the platforms on the market, you're allowed to pick and choose who you want to talk to and if and when you do follow up again. VanillaSoft is a bit more archaic. It's a bit more saying you're going to follow up 10 times with this person, say these things in this order, and, and basically your job is to do it and you'll be helped a lot by the you know branching and templates and all that kind of stuff to help you. But it will just help you get on and do it because my problem is I kind of talk myself out of everything I get to the fifth step and I'm like, ah, oh, I don't think this is going to work. I'm going to stop. And that's why I failed as a salesperson. I was good at the first couple of touches, but I could never go through to the end when I, when we see basically the stats always tell us if you follow up 10 or more times, depending on what market you're in, obviously, that's when you really get the positive responses. I was given up at like four or five, maybe six. So if you think about it, I kind of left half of my bread on the table. So that, that's the main difference. Very good. Well, that sounds like an incredible platform. And where do we find it? Vanillasoft.com? Yeah, you nailed it. Beautiful. I love it. Well, for those of you sellers out there, and even those of you that are in marketing that might be listening, being engaging your buyers is of the utmost importance right now, more than ever. The people that you're trying to sell to, the people that you're trying to open doors with, they are being inundated with messaging through their email platforms, through their social platforms, through their phone calls some text messages, they are being inundated. So jumping out and standing out is of the utmost importance. So listening to Ollie, there were three key takeaways that I had. One is targeting. At the front end, we really need to be intentional intentional about who we're targeting, why we're targeting them, so that we can get into the second piece, which is relevance and personalization. And that relevance and personalization can be at the business level, which I think is ideal, it's peppered in with some light, personal personalization, if that makes sense. And then the third key component is use a framework, not a template, but a framework. This gives you the structure, yet the creativity to bring humanity in towards your outreach. So for those of you listening, please visit lovesellinghatesales.com. You can find Ollie and VanillaSoft on LinkedIn or vanillasoft.com. Ollie, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me, man. It was a good fun. 